What are your most deeply held beliefs? And how hard would it be for you to change your mind? Researchers tell us that about 90% of new ideas that we encounter we reject out of hand without even considering them. It's hard to listen to arguments that we know that we'll disagree with. That's why we often talk to people that we know already share our opinions. We visit websites, watch television networks, and read newspaper columnists that already share our point of view and will reinforce them for us. Well, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem were just like us. Now, they had made a radical decision to follow Jesus. So perhaps as long as 10 or 12 years before, or maybe recently, they had made a decision to go against the leadership of the religious authorities in Jerusalem and had chosen to follow Jesus, even though all of the authorities opposed him. In fact, at their time, to openly follow Jesus had serious consequences. Some, a few years before, had lost their lives. So deciding to say yes to Jesus was a big deal for them, and for some of them, that meant that they had used up their change quotient for their lifetimes. They were so opposed to any more changes that they eventually went on a campaign to say, you know what, no more changes. Let's just keep things the way that they are. Recently, they'd heard some news that troubled them. They'd heard that Paul and Barnabas were telling Gentiles, these were ethnic Greeks and Romans and others, that all they had to do to come to faith in Jesus was to put their faith in him. So as a group, they went to, from Jerusalem to Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas were, to set things right. And here's what they said. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now Luke adds, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So there really are two sides to this debate. There are what you might call the Jesus people. That's Paul and Barnabas who said that faith in Jesus Christ is all that's needed in order to be a Christian. And then there are the Jesus plus people. Not so fast, said the Jewish Christians. The Gentiles are welcome so long as they are circumcised and obey the laws of Moses. So this created a Jesus, Jesus plus divide in the church. Now, in theory, the Jewish Christians didn't have a problem with Gentiles joining the church. That is, as long as they became Jewish as well. So when they heard that the Gentile Christians were being welcomed into the church simply based on faith in Jesus, they were upset. Now, we need to be careful about being overly harsh with these Jewish Christians, these Jesus plus people. They were not awful, evil people. They were mistaken, but we need to understand that their motives were good. They wanted to honor God, and the law they believed had been given them for their good, and they had lived it out and found that it was a good thing. But they had reached some bad conclusions. Candidly, they probably weren't aware of it, but in some ways there may have been some ethnic racism, and certainly a desire to maintain control. So you can see in the beginning that all the Christians were Jewish, but then slowly, and then more rapidly, Gentiles became coming to faith. In fact, it wouldn't be long before the Gentile Christians outnumbered the Jewish Christians. So if the Gentiles were allowed into church without observing the Jewish law and becoming circumcised, they wondered what else might be next. Perhaps a pig roast right before communion. They were worried also about weakening moral standards, and they had a legitimate worry because there were vast differences in the practices, the daily practices and moral standards between Jews and Gentiles at the time. The Jews had a reputation for religious and sexual purity. The Greeks and Romans were known to be violent and sensual people. So what could happen, they wondered, if Gentiles actually got control of the church? 
They were also concerned about theological corruption. Paul, they thought, taught cheap grace. In their minds, the Jesus-only message was just too easy. It didn't require enough, and they saw themselves as hardcore. They didn't cut corners. No yoga for them. It was CrossFit all the way. Now, maybe that gives you an idea of how big a deal this was, because both the Jewish believers and Paul saw this as a watershed moment. To Paul, the question for the Jewish Christians was, what's your vision for the Christian church? Is it big enough to see that Jesus is not just a reform movement within Judaism, but the good news for the whole world? Well, the issue was so big that everyone agreed that there needed to be a decision made about what to do. So they brought together the most important leaders of the Christian church to Jerusalem to resolve this question once and for all. And they knew that if they didn't get it right, the church would fly apart. At a minimum, what they would have is two groups, the Jesus and the Jesus Plus groups, and they never would be united again. So when they gathered, the Jesus Plus people had the first word. And they got right to the point and said this, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Peter went next. What Peter did is told the story of a, an event that happened to him about 10 years ago. Um, Amy Roll talked about this a few weeks ago. It was an event when Peter was gone for a nap and had a vision from God in which God revealed to him that the good news was for the Jews and for the Gentiles as well. God, he said, made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. And in that vision, Paul was, or Peter was also given the idea that the Jewish religious practices, particularly the dietary laws, could be set aside. They were no longer binding. So now they could eat bacon-wrapped shrimp at their next social gathering. So he concluded, let's not put a burden on the Gentiles that we ourselves have not been able to bear. He says, God's not made a distinction between us and them. And then he said this, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved. And with that, Peter sat down. Up next was Paul. Now, Paul made actually a somewhat surprising argument. Paul was often very theological and philosophical, but in this case, what he did was simply recount his experience, the experience that he and Barnabas had had in telling the Gentiles about faith and how so many of them had come to faith in Jesus Christ. After he finished, James got up. Now, let me just tell you, there are more than, there's more than one James in the book of Acts, but this one is the brother of Jesus. Now, when Jesus was living, James wasn't so sure about Jesus. In fact, he was a Jesus skeptic. He didn't actually come to faith until after Jesus died and rose again, and it was because he saw Jesus resurrected that he decided to be a follower of Jesus. So now we are 10, 12 years later, and James has developed and become one of the most important leaders in the early Christian church. He had a reputation for godliness and wisdom. And so at this crucial moment, People looked to him for advice. They looked to him for guidance. Listen, he said. And then he reminded them that Peter's vision that Peter had just described was actually consistent with something said by the prophet Amos. Amos had written many years before that God had a promise to rebuild and restore Israel and that when that happened, the Gentiles would seek God. So what James was saying to them is that including the Gentiles in the family of God was not an afterthought. It was actually part of the plan. James paused at the end before making his concluding remarks. And here's what he said. It's my judgment 
that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And when he finished, everyone agreed. Before he sat down, he did ask for a few concessions from the Gentile believers. Out of respect for their Jewish brothers and sisters and their convictions, he said, would you please abstain from a few culturally pra practices that were particularly offensive to them? And they agreed. Now, it's not hard to overstate. It's hard not to overstate how important this meeting was because much was at stake. Would it be Jesus or Jesus plus as the message? Was Jesus only for a select few? or for the entire world. At the beginning of the meeting, both sides were completely inflexible. But now everyone saw the wisdom in James's conclusions at the end. And so Paul's perspective carried the day. Now you might notice that the meeting didn't end with a church vote. In fact, I'd be willing to bet that had they taken a vote, Paul's perspective would have lost. Instead, this was a decision made by the recognized leader of the church. And even though he asked something of both sides, it really wasn't much of a compromise. He didn't split the difference and try to make both sides happy. He did ask the Gentiles, out of love and respect for the consciences of their Jewish friends, to adjust a few kitchen practices that were particularly important to them. But largely, he sided with Paul. So graciously but firmly, he and the others made a decision that they knew was best, knowing that some might disagree and even grumble. Leadership often requires making difficult decisions. But despite initial opposition, it appears that those even who disagreed would later come around. They followed their leaders and learned by experience the wisdom of what had been decided that day. One principle demonstrated by this process is that churches need to be led by leaders. In every church, God has positioned uniquely gifted men and women and placed them in positions of authority. Sensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, they need to make decisions, decisions that will not always be unanimous. I doubt, for example, that Paul was ha uh, happy that the Gentiles were asked to keep their meat kosher. Likewise, the Jewish believers probably grumbled for a few months, some maybe longer. But in the end, everyone united around the decision that James and the others had reached. And it was a turning point in the early Christian church. From this point on, the question of who was a Christian was settled. No longer were the Christians merely a renegade Jewish sect, but a new movement of God open to any who put their faith in Jesus. Was this the end of the conflict? I doubt it. And I wish I could say it so, but it was hard for the Jewish Christians to accept some of the, Gentile, uh, some of the changes the Gentiles brought into the church. And some of the Gentiles probably from time to time longed for a good juicy steak. But they adjusted and they made it work, and work it did. Here's what Luke records just a chapter later in Acts chapter 16, verse 5, when he says the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. So you see what happened is this decision led to explosive growth in the early Christian church. The Jewish Christians gave up some privileges in order to include the many Gentiles who were coming to faith. Both groups gave up some of their cultural preferences and focused on the essentials of faith in the message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that through him we're invited into a relationship with God and can be part of the community of faith. You know, we need to do the same thing today. And let me just give you an example. Those of us who are white are part of the majority of the Christian church in America. In order to see the church reach everyone, and that is to see the church in America reach those who may look different, speak differently than us, 
we need to be set, willing to set aside some differences, some things that may be dear to us, but are not at the core of faith. Only then will be, we be a united church, a unified church, that can reach this entire country, and really the world, for Jesus. Perhaps we too can see the kind of explosive growth that this church saw in the aftermath of this decision to be unified around these common set of beliefs. Another lesson we should take away is how to handle change. We need to be careful at the two extremes. You know, we shouldn't be so open to change that we don't actually think things through. Nor should we immediately reject any change just because it makes us uncomfortable. And at all costs, we should never be the kind of troublemakers that divide the church. There may be times to take a stand, but we must always do so cautiously and graciously. You know, change is hard for us too. Even today, conflicts erupt between those who advocate change and those who want to hold on to tradition. In Antioch, the issue was the dinner meal. In other days, it's other things. I don't know if you noticed, but James gave an important principle in chapter 15, verse 19, when he said this, It is my judgment that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. James was unwilling to compromise on the message of Jesus, that in, ev in him, everyone can have a relationship with God. He also wanted to keep the church united, not divided by factions, so asked for some concessions from both groups. But he was most concerned about the way that outsiders saw the church. That's why he told them not to do anything that would make it harder for seekers to come to faith in Jesus. Sometimes, intentionally or unintentionally, we get stubborn about our preferences. In years past, it might have been uh, churches that fought knockdown, drag out fights around church music, the style of church of music used in a church service, forgetting that part of what God was asking them to do was to reach people who may have found a preference for a different kind of music than the church was used to. We need to remember James's advice and think through everything we do so we don't inadvertently make it more difficult for people who are seeking to find Jesus. Sometimes we hold on also too tightly to some pet theological idea. Now don't get me wrong, I think it is important for us to think through what we believe and have convictions based on the scriptures for what we believe. James and Paul and others in this particular instance spent time to understand what were the essentials of Christian faith and for them it was faith in Jesus. But they also allowed diversity in areas of lesser importance, not making too narrow a set of beliefs that were essential. You know, another area that our, in our day that we get crosswise with each other has to do with politics. Now, let me be clear. I think that each one of us needs to develop our own personal convictions based on what we understand the Bible to say. And there are a few issues about which Christians are united. But there are other issues, political issues, about which we may view things differently. So I always cringe when someone says to me, you can't be a real Christian and vote for so-and-so. Because not long after that, I may come across someone else who say, you know what, you can't be a Christian and vote for so-and-so, and they're talking about the opposite candidate. We need to be careful not to get ourselves in a box about these things. We also need to be careful about certain cultural issues. It's easy to turn our preferences into rules. We may have good reasons for our convictions, but be careful about what goes on our list. 
When I was in college, a friend of mine from high school became a Christian. A couple of months later, someone asked me, do you think she's really a Christian? And I said, sure, why do you ask? And he said, well, she smokes cigarettes. Well, I knew her fairly well. I knew her in high school and I knew her after high school. And I knew that some of the decisions that she'd made along the way after high school were very poor decisions. She'd had a rough patch in her life. And so I knew that at that moment, cigarettes were the least of her concerns. She was working hard every day to make better decisions and smoking was way down on the list of vices that she was seeking to shed. All of us have a whole host of convictions. Some of them we hold deeply, but we need to be careful not to let these things divide us from one another. Unless something violates an explicit command in the Bible, let's be gracious with one another. And certainly, let's not try to judge who's in and who's out. Above all, do not make it difficult for those who are seeking God to find him in the church. This was a watershed moment for that particular church, and we have our own watershed moments in our day. They got it right, and we're the beneficiaries. So let's get it right in our day as well. Amen.